0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. The book of James, chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. The Bible says He sent His Word to heal them and deliver them from their destructions. And so, thank God that this written Word unveils to us the living Word that was sent to us to heal us and deliver us from our afflictions and destructions. Can you say amen to that? Thank God this written Word unveils to us the living Word that was sent to us. For what reason? To heal. And also to deliver. And so we thank God for the Word. In verse 6, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Of course, in its setting, he's referring to wisdom. But you'll notice that... He says in verse 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything. That means wisdom or anything else. If we want to receive from God, we've got to ask in faith. If we want to receive wisdom from God, we must ask in faith. If we want to receive financial assistance from God, we must ask Him in faith. If we want to receive the Holy Ghost, we have to ask in faith. Whatever it is that we need from God. If it's healing we need this morning, we have to ask in faith. Faith is... A vital part of the gospel message. Because without faith we were told the Israelites failed to receive the promises of God. They didn't mix faith with the gospel and therefore failed to gain entrance into the promised land. Well, if that's true, then where does faith begin? How do I begin operating in faith? Well, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If one does not know the will of God, one cannot possibly have a steadfast faith to receive anything from God. If you don't know God's will in the matter, you can't have a steadfast faith. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. If we do not know the will of God regarding healing or anything else, then we cannot have a steadfast faith to receive the thing that we need from Him. If we're to ask God, we're to ask in faith, believing. Because Jesus said, believing prayer is what's going to cause us to receive. Whatever we have need of, and anything we ask in prayer, believing, He said, we shall receive. Believing is the faith part. That's why James said, ask in faith. Nothing wavering, without vacillating, without being double-minded. Otherwise, you're unstable in all your ways, and you won't receive what you need from God. So it's not a matter of the giver. It's a matter of the receiver. The one receiving must ask in faith, believing. So where does faith begin? Well, the will of God is known. One must know the will of God in order to ask in faith. Look at 1 John 5:14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. That's confidence. I'm confident when I ask according to His will. Because what I know His will, I'm confident. I know He wants me to have it. And if I know He wants me to have it, it belongs to me, it's mine, I can ask in confidence or in faith, believing. God wills it, therefore, I can ask Him for it in faith, believing. Let's let's turn to another scripture. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And let's show the importance of knowing the will of God regarding healing. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 40, a leper came to the Lord Jesus Christ asking for healing. He knew that God was able to heal him, but he did not know that God was willing. He knew that Jesus had the ability or the power to heal him, but he did not know the willingness of in the matter. And in verse 40 it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Notice, if thou wilt. You'll find out that if you'll study your Bible, this is the only place that the will of God is questioned regarding healing. It's the only place that someone asks Jesus about the will of God concerning healing. If thou wilt. I know you can, but I don't know your will. And since I don't know your will, I'm asking you, if you will, you can make me clean. You can heal me of this leprosy. Well... Jesus moved with compassion, put forth His hand, and touched Him, and saith unto Him, I will be Thou clean. And as soon as He had spoken, as soon as He had spoken, underline that in your Bible, as soon as He had spoken. It didn't say as soon as He laid His hand on Him. It said as soon as He had spoken. What did He speak? What did He say? I will. Not knowing the will of God produced doubt in the man's heart. And since the man did not know the will of God, he could not ask in faith. This is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will. He didn't know the will, so he asked the will. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus took care of the situation by telling him, I will. And after he had spoken, then immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The answer to his question, I will, once and for all settled the will of God in the matter of healing. I'll be honest about it. If Jesus wanted to bring anything else out in the Bible regarding the will of God concerning healing, He would have done it right here. That isolated incident right there was recorded in the Gospel of Mark to let people know once and for all the will of God concerning healing. Jesus could have addressed the the will of God issue right there. He could have said to the fellow, Well, you know, sometimes it is the will of God, and sometimes it's not the will of God. But in this case, it's the will of God for you to be healed, so I'll lay hands on you and you can be healed. He didn't say that. He said, I will. If thou wilt, thou canst. I know your ability, but I don't know your willingness. He said, I will. Jesus would have taken the time right there to elaborate on that and let him know about the will of God regarding healing. And since all he did was said, I will... We should know that it's the will of God for all to be well and all to be made whole. If it wasn't the will of God, Jesus would have said so. Now, beloved, not everyone has been blessed to hear the truth and to receive that kind of teaching and that kind of knowledge. And therefore, not everyone knows the will of God regarding healing. You say, well, why? Well, first of all, because of improper teaching and also... Because many put human experience up above the Word of God. And what that results in is this. People do not know the will of God regarding healing or God's will regarding health for their lives and in their lives. And therefore, they're not confident enough to ask God or to believe in faith concerning their physical condition. And so what I would like to do this morning, if I have your permission, is to address some of the objections that people make regarding the subject of divine healing and health, answering some of the questions that they have and some of the objections that they have with the Word of God, so that we can settle once and for all in the minds of people God's will concerning healing. Now, before I go to point one or objection one, let's look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 13, to show us... That when people are taught wrong, or when people put human experience above the Word of God, what they end up doing is passing down from one generation to the next the traditions of men. And when people do that, they get themselves highly developed in those traditions and in those doctrines And they make ineffective or of none effect the Word of God. And the Bible says that God sent His Word to heal them and deliver them from their destructions. In verse 13 of chapter 7, Mark's Gospel, "...making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye." Now, of course, he's talking about certain things that they did way back when, but he was saying that you've exalted tradition... Up above the Word of God, and in so doing, you've made the Word of God of none effect. Now, the Bible says that God's Word is effective, doesn't it? It's active, operative, energizing. But the traditions of men make the Word of God of none effect. It is there, it's powerful, but it's inoperative, it's inactive, it's ineffective. Why? Because the traditions of men have reached the hearts of people, and the Word of God is not prevailing. And when that happens, beloved, God's Word is not operative, and therefore God's power is not channeled. God sent His Word to heal and to deliver. And when the Word of God is ineffective and inoperative because of men's traditions, then God's power is not channeled. See, words are containers of life. God's life is channeled through His Word. That's where the power of God is. God upholds us, sustains us, maintains us by the Word of His power. But through traditions that are handed down from one generation to the next, God's Word is made ineffective in people's lives. So, number one, our first objection. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin there. And verse 23 Many do not know the will of God regarding healing, or many do not know that God wants everyone well or whole or made whole because it's been handed down from one generation to the next that God does not always heal. God does not always heal. And that logic is based on this reasoning. Since many come for healing and many walk away not healed, human experience then proves that God does not always heal. Now, that message is being taught right around, believe me, all around us. Now, God heals, they'll say, but God does not always heal. And the reason why we know that is because many come to God for healing, but few get healed. Therefore, human experience proves that God does not always heal. Well, beloved, in answer to that, let me state this. We do not build faith on human experience. We build faith on the Word of God. If God's will is not being done in the lives of people, God is not to blame. The fault lies with man. It does not lie with God. Now, man doesn't like to hear that, I realize. Nevertheless, let God be true, and let every man be a liar... And let's answer that objection with the word of God and find out what it says about. Does God always heal or God does not always heal? Matthew 4:23 and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick People that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy, and He healed them. Every one of them that came to Jesus in those regions right there round about were all healed of whatever sickness or whatever disease they had. That's what the Word of God says. All those that came to Him were healed. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. Why? That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Once again, what does the word of God say? There, Jesus was doing the will of the Father God on the earth. They brought to Him many that were sick and many that were possessed with devils. And Jesus healed all of them. Look over here at verse, or chapter 6 of Luke's Gospel and beginning at verse 19. Well, we'll back it up to verse 18. Let's go one, back, one further to 17 and we'll put it all in context. Just keep backing up. And He came down with them and stood in the plain. And the company of His disciples and a great multitude a people out of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, I know a multitude is a lot of people, but a great multitude. Can you imagine? A great multitude of people came to hear Him and be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch Him, for there went virtue out of Him and healed them all. Once again, here we read the Word of God. And all those that came to Jesus for healing, when they came to Him and touched Him, they were healed. All of them. Don't turn to it. You can't expect to, but in Psalms 103 and verse 3, we are told that God forgives all of our iniquities and God heals all of our diseases. Once again, the Word of God says all. If we believe He forgives all of our sins. How many of you believe He forgives all of our sins? Well, in the same breath, the psalmist said, And heals all of our diseases. Everyone say all. All. Well, then we have to believe that the Word of God says, regardless of what human experience says, the Word of God says that God heals all of our diseases. Jesus healed all that came to Him. And God heals all of our diseases. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 6, since you're close by, and verse 38. God's will is not interpreted by human experience. God's will is interpreted in the Word of God. We look to the Word of God to find the will of God. We do not look to human experience to find the will of God. And therefore, if we're going to have any type of doctrine to hand down to men, let's hand down the Word of God from generation to generation and not the traditions of men and not human experience. Because when we know the Word of God, we know the will of God. And I believe that people become more highly developed in the will of God as we pass that on from generation to generation and not the traditions of men. God's Word will be that much more effective in the lives of people. In verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Who sent Jesus to the earth? Whose will did He come to do? The Father's will. And He went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil and all that touched Him. Healing went out of Him. Virtue went out of Him and healed them all. Jesus was the will of God in motion. So to discover the will of God and answer the question, Does God always heal? Yes. Yes. God always heals. The Bible said He always heals. He heals all of our diseases. And all those that came to Him, they were all healed. Now, you ready for this? You might not be, but we have to be. We build faith on the Word of God. We don't build faith on human experience. And if there's a problem, the fault lies with man, not with God. And when I say man, I mean all of us. His ministers included. Jesus was... In the flesh, God personified, was He not? He was God's perfect channel of power. He had the Spirit without measure, and He went about doing the Father's will. There was never a better channel of God's power in the earth than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a problem when it comes to the manward side. Imperfect faith on the part of the people, Imperfect perfect faith on the part of His ministers, Instead of striving or, or fighting and debating to, to, to get healing out of the church, let's just be more perfected in what God has provided. And let the ministers develop more faith and the people develop more faith so that we can be more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Yes, I know it steps on all of our toes, but you know what? We need our toes stepped on because if there's no pain, there's no gain. So let's get, you know, have the pain and have some gain in our lives. Let's let Jesus set the standard. Let's let Him be the model of ministry and follow His example. And if you're out there as a minister, don't be satisfied until you have more of the healing power of God flowing through your life. More increase when it comes to the healing anointing. I should be that way, and all those that minister should be that way. And when it comes to receiving, being the recipient of that, don't be satisfied with the faith that you have right now. Increase in your level of faith. Or would you rather hear a watered-down message saying, Well, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. God always heals. If there's a problem, it's on the part of the believer. It's not on God's part. And that means include, like I said, ministers and everybody. Let God's Word interpret the will of God. So God does always heal. But because of imperfect vessels, that will of God is not always carried out as He wants it to be. That's why we're to constantly be praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Objection number two. If you would please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Objection number two is this. Healing can't be for all because the Apostle Paul left Tophimus sick at Miletum. And we hear these Things being taught in Christian circles. Now, now, beloved, listen carefully. Brother T.L. Osborne has a world-renowned ministry. And he goes into many different countries preaching and teaching the Word of God. In his experience, he says, Wherever I go, no matter what city, what land, what nation, or whatever... If the people have been taught by others these doctrines of men and traditions, I have a very difficult time getting those people healed. In other words, if their spirit has been contaminated with all these thoughts that God does not always heal, that Paul left top of the sick at Miletum and therefore God's not going to heal you, and since Paul had that power and he didn't get that Trophimus healed, well then you know, you're probably not going to get healed either. If they've been taught all these different things against the will of God, he can't get them healed. Or it's very difficult to break through that to get them healed. But he says, if I go into a nation or a country or a city or a land where they've not been taught the Word of God at all, and I go in there and teach them the will of God, he says, they get healed in mass. Jerusalem, Easiest thing in the world to get people healed. Beloved, we don't realize the negative effect doubt and unbelief really has on the human spirit and how it prevents the blessings of God from being made manifest in the lives of people. In this verse, 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick people will take that isolated scripture and say, "See, Paul left him sick, therefore God doesn't heal everyone." Well, in response to that objection number 1, make note of it. Human experience once again does not replace the word of God. Whether or not Trophimus ever got healed is irrelevant. What about Matthew 8:17? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, that Jesus himself bare our sickness and carried our pain. 2 Timothy 4.20 does not replace Matthew 8.17. Secondly, another scripture, 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes ye were healed, includes Tophimus as well as anybody else. Also. Mark 16:18, Jesus said, "They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." Also, Psalms 103 says, "Who healeth all of thy diseases? This scripture in Timothy does not replace those other scriptures. So number one, make note of that. Number two is found in Second Corinthians, chapter one and verse 30. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Secondly, the Scriptures should never be interpreted to destroy faith, but to build faith into the lives of God's people. The Scriptures should never be interpreted to destroy faith, but to build faith in the lives of God's people. In this scripture, we read this. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. Notice the last two words highlighted, by us. Everyone say, by us. In other words, Trophimus had a part to play in his healing. All the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God, by us. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and word of my testimony. I have a part to play in my healing. If I don't do my part, then God can't do His part. God's already made a move. It's up to me to make the next move so that God can once again move and then consummate the healing process. It's important to know that I've got a part to play in it. Therefore, I should never use the Scriptures or interpret the Scriptures so has to destroy faith in the lives of people, but to build faith. These other scriptures that I gave to you are not changed by 2 Timothy 4.20. But it's better to understand that Trophimus had a part to play in his healing. And it's by us, or by him also, that the healing process is consummated. But still, that's not saying he didn't get healed. I'm saying don't misinterpret the Word of God or interpret it to say that He didn't get healed, and therefore, it's not the will of God that people be healed everywhere. Thirdly, since healing belongs to every child of God, and it's part of our redemptive plan, would it not be better to state that Paul sided with compromise or left him after praying the prayer of faith or laying hands on him? And then going about his business, leaving him. When he left him, he left him sick. But believing that the healing process began when he prayed for him. And that it was in the process of working in his life. And then it was made manifest or consummated as Prophemus continued thanking and praising God for his deliverance. Since healing belongs to all of us. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Wouldn't it be more logical to believe that because that sides with the Word of God than to take an isolated text and say, see, this one scripture replaces Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter two twenty four, Psalms one hundred three, verse three, Isaiah fifty four or fifty three verses four and five? Absolutely. So since healing belongs to us, I'm sure that Paul prayed for the man and believed God with him. And finally, make note of this because it's extremely important to all of our spiritual walk. Every single one of us, our spiritual walk. Whenever anyone tries to justify a position in his life or anybody else's life that's lower than the one set by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, Satan will always help that individual to put things in a rationalized form. And then when human reason begins to take over, man begins to develop traditions. They use human experience to reason things out in their mind, and they take away from the Word of God. And Satan will help them do that. Don't you allow him to do that in your life. Don't you echo him. Don't you be his voice in the earth and say, see... Paul left Trophimus the sick, therefore. No, don't destroy faith in people's lives. Why don't you give them all the scriptures that point out the fact that Jesus bore their sickness and carried their pain? Why don't we take them to show them Psalm 103, verse 3, that says, He forgives all our iniquities and heals all of our diseases? Don't take an isolated text like that and try to distort it or misinterpret it to mean something else or to take away from a solid doctrine in the Bible. The enemy will have people do that, so don't allow that to happen in your life. Don't you interpret it that way, and don't let the devil put those thoughts in your mind. Because human reasoning, believe me, is never going to supersede the Word of God. But if you allow it, it'll make the Word of God an effect in your life. Okay, number three. And this is a good one. The first time I heard this was up in Warren, Ohio. I went to visit a friend, and I shared some truth from the gospel with him in... And, and I didn't know it at the time, but he was from a different denominational background. And therefore, when I began to share with him along the lines of healing and health, one of the first things he said to me, well, didn't you know that Luke was Paul's personal physician? And I just looked at him and I said, what? He says, well, Luke was Paul's personal physician. Didn't you know that? You can't expect God to always heal people because Paul took his own personal physician with him on his missionary journeys. I'd have sucked that one out. Are you ready? Let's answer that objection. Acts 14, beginning at verse 19. You mean you never heard that one? Well, Luke was a physician. You learn something new every day. Luke was a physician before he met the Lord. And of course, many say, well, because. He was a physician. That's why Paul chose to take him on his missionary journeys. You know, Luke wrote the book of Acts and also his gospel. But he was also a physician. And people say, well, see, Paul had to take Luke because he was a physician. And that's why he took him everywhere he went. For, of course, his own personal protection and help if he needed anything, any kind of assistance, medical assistance or whatever. Well, Acts 14, beginning at verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Now, notice, Paul is with him. I mean, mean, Luke is with Paul in his writing. Here we see Paul being stoned. How many of you know that the Jews were professional stoners? And when they stoned you, you were left for dead. I mean, there was no movement in your body because they were professionals at this. Maybe here, you know, you might pick up a few rocks and hit people with it and think that you've, you know, you've stoned them to death. But that wasn't the case then. That's how they killed people back then. They stoned them to death. And when these professional stoners got done stoning him to death, leaving him for dead, they went on their way. But Paul, the Bible says, rose up in the midst of them. Luke was right there. Luke did not minister to Paul in any medical sense. Paul was raised up by the power of God... God wrought a powerful miracle in the life of Paul, and then Paul went right back and still preached to those same people. Can you imagine being one that stoned him? and there he is, preaching right back? I mean the next day. We're talking the next day. Did you read that? Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He went right on back in there and preached and then he departed. And went preaching some more. You're talking about someone just got stoned. Left for dead. How many know the body hurts when it gets stoned? Especially when you're left for dead, they're swelling, your eyes are probably bugged out of your head, and everything else is going on in your body. He just got up right off and just went on. No, Luke didn't minister to him as a physician. Acts 20. And then notice this Luke didn't go with him also to Derby, did he? He went with Barnabas so Luke didn't accompany him there. In Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. And on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech till midnight. I like that man. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they had gathered together, and there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. Sounds like a lot of churches in the area. Well, Paul was long-winded. He was was the first long-winded preacher. You didn't know that, did you? See, look at the next part. And as Paul was long-preaching, he was the first long-winded preacher. He sunk down with deep with sleep and fell down from the third loft. He was taken up dead. Now, it doesn't say that Luke went down. It says Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourself, for his life is in him. And When he therefore was come up again, he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till uh, the break of day. And so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. No, if Luke went as his personal physician, the first thing he would have done is sent... Luke right down and say, Go how about Eutychus. He found out find out what happened. But no, nope, Paul went. He went immediately. And when he did, he raised him up from the dead. God was alive and active in the life of the Apostle Paul. There's no doubt about that. And Luke was not his personal physician. Luke just went with him because he was interested in what was going on. Look at Acts twenty eight. Perfect example. If Luke was Paul's personal physician, Acts twenty eight, verse three. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and fell no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. No, he's not a God, but he has God in him. It was not Luke ministering to him in a medical sense to provide protection from the venomous beast, from the poison that was in him. It was a spirit-filled, faith-filled life. That Paul lived that protected him from the serpent's bite. Paul knew how to tap into the resources of heaven. He knew how to generate that miracle working power. He knew that Jesus said they shall take up serpents and if any dead thing things shall, uh, they shall eat or drink, it shall not hurt them or harm them. He knew the word of God. A faithful, spirit-filled life protected him from death, not Luke the physician. If he was going by that, he probably would have died because there wasn't anything that Luke could have given him to help him so quickly in this time of need. And then if you look at verse 8 and 9, Finally, it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in, not Luke, and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Notice once again. Luke was not the one doing the ministering to the sick in a medical sense. The apostle Paul was by the power of God. And when he laid hands on people, they were healed and delivered and made free. So Luke was not Paul's personal physician any more than Matthew was his personal tax accountant or collector. Just because he was one doesn't mean he stayed one. Come on, say amen or oh my. So in answer to that objection, we can't say that Luke was his physician. Because certainly scripture does not support that idea, does it? Of course, probably one of the most famous objections when it comes to speaking out against divine healing and health. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And let's get into this one. This one is called Paul's Paul's Thorn in the Flesh. Now, you've heard that one, I know. Well, healing isn't for everybody because sometimes God gives people a thorn in the flesh, which is sickness or disease, to humble them. I heard, when I first heard that one, it just floored me. I didn't even know Paul had a thorn. And then I thought, if Paul had one, why would anybody else want it? If it was Paul's, let him keep it. What about you? I mean, if it's Paul's, let him keep it. I've got Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, do you really? Why don't you just let Paul keep it? Everyone wants Job's boils, Timothy's stomach, or Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't know why. Just like poor old Job, you know. Well, let Job keep his boils. Let Paul keep his thorn. Amen. And Timothy, about his stomach, I don't know. I don't want it, do you? Let's look to the Word of God and find out about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Beginning in verse 7. Healing is not for everyone, they say, because Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And if this great man had a sickness and disease in his body, well then, I probably have a thorn in my flesh so that God will humble me and perfect me in my life, my spiritual life. Well, once again, the traditions of men handed down make the Word of God of none effect. Let's not interpret the Word of God... By human experience. Let's find out what it actually says and then live by that. Because that builds faith, faith, the other destroys faith. Let's interpret the word so as to build faith in the life of people, not to take away faith from their hearts. Beginning at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure to the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan debuffed me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In answer to this objection, write down number one. First of all, what Paul had did not come from God. What Paul had, whatever it was, did not come from God. If you read verse 7 again, you'll find out that it came from Satan. Unless I should be exalted above measure to the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. The word messenger is the word angelos. It's translated 188 times in the Bible, 181 times as angel, and 7 times as messenger. Here is one of the seven times it's translated as messenger. Regardless, it means an angel or a messenger. Of who? Satan. So we see here that the born in the flesh that he had did not come from God, but it was an angel or a messenger of Satan doing his bidding. That's where it came from. It did not come from God. So when people say, well, this is a sickness that I have that came from God to humble me, that's not true because it did not come from God. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Secondly, in answer to that objection, hold your place there and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Secondly, God was not opposing Paul's being exalted. Paul was humble. Because he was humble, God was exalting him. And the more a person will humble himself, the more God will exalt him. God was exalting Paul, but the devil didn't like it. People were listening to him, listening to his message. They were getting saved, getting healed, getting spirit-filled, getting delivered, getting set free, and the devil didn't like it, so he sent an angel targeted his life and said, Buffet him. Silence him. God was exalting the Apostle Paul because he was humble. Humble yourself and God will exalt you. Now let's go on back there. And the devil didn't like it. So he sent a messenger. The messenger of Satan "Buff me. Why? Lest I should be exalted above measure. That's why. And the devil didn't like it. So he sent a messenger to buffet him, to silence him, to get him to stop speaking the word of God because of its effect in the lives of people. Okay, thirdly. Well, let's read on verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Well, why would he beseech the Lord to get rid of something that he gave him? If it came from God, he would want him to have it. He should want to have it. But obviously it didn't come from God, and that's why he besought the Lord, that it, so that it would uh, depart from him. Another thought, notice the expression, a thorn in the flesh. The expression, the thorn in the flesh, in Scripture, is never interpreted as being a sickness or a disease in anyone's body. It's used twice elsewhere in Scripture. And let's let the Word of God do our interpreting. Going back to the book of Numbers, chapter... Thirty-three, Numbers chapter 33 and verse 55. Thorn in the flesh was not an eye disease or any kind of physical sickness or disease in the Apostle Paul's body. It was an, ex- an expression that was used just like we use today. That person is a pain in the neck. Now, it's not a real pain in your neck as such, meaning a physical sickness in your body. It's just an expression that is used to transmit a thought. And if I were to say to you, someone's a pain in the neck, would you get the message? And everywhere I go, that person's there to buffet me. Would you get the message? Absolutely. In Numbers 33, 55... But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Speaking to a group of people, they would be pricks in their eyes and thorns in their sides. And that's not referring to an eye disease and a side disease. It's an expression that the people would be, as we said, a pain in the neck. Interference, problem causing. There'd be problems in all that. Okay, it's also used in the book of Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. in verse 13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off, off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Once again, the expression is used, but it's not referring to any type of sickness Or any type of disease, it's referring to a people that are there to discourage them, to cause problems for them, and possibly to hurt them, and do all these other things to them. So now, when you go on back, let's go back there and you read that, you can better understand what Paul was saying. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. Now, notice it's not referring to a disease or a sickness. It's referring to a people. And then he he explains who it is. The messenger of Satan. The angel. Satan obviously had a particular angel sent to Paul's life and ministry to undermine it to discourage him, to persecute him, to cause things happen against him, lest he be exalted above measure and continue the work of the Lord in a dynamic, powerful way. And so Satan comes along with this angel and says, look, buffet the man. Everywhere he goes, make it hard for him. Make it difficult for him. For people to persecute him and do all these things against him. It's not a disease or a sickness in his life. Now, God's response to the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul says, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Look at verse 9. And he said unto me, and we're going to break this apart to to make it as clear as I possibly can, that it was not a sickness or a disease. And God's response was not this. Go ahead, Paul, put up with it. It's your lot in life, just put up with it. He wasn't saying that, like so many interpreters. See, the traditions of men handed down make the Word of God have none effect. And people walk around with Paul's thorn in their body, thinkingly, and in reality, it's not. God didn't send it. In verse 9, He said unto me, My grace... everyone say grace. Grace is God's operational power. And I don't have time to do a study on that, but if you will, you'll find out that grace is the operational power of God that produces everything we need. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith, in other words, taps into the grace of God and produces what? Salvation. And you go on from there and we're healed. Operational power to heal us. Operational power to deliver us. Operational power to keep us, preserve us, and all these different things. That's the grace of God in manifestation. So he said, My grace, the next word is sufficient. Sufficient. And if you look in your strong Concordance do a study, you'll find out that the word means to raise a barrier, to ward off, to be satisfactory. It is enough. My grace or my operational power is enough to ward off or to raise up a barrier against the enemy is what he was saying. My grace, my operational power is sufficient more than enough to raise up a standard or a barrier against the onset of the enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. Same thing against them. My grace, Paul, is sufficient. And in connection with that thought, let's remember this. God never said he'd do anything about a devil or a demon trying to harass us in life. Did you know that? He would never get rid of it. He said, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He never said I would do it. He said, you do it. In my name, cast out devils. That's what he said. So he said, Paul, my grace, my operational power is sufficient. It's enough for you to lift up a standard or a barrier against this onslaught of the enemy. For my strength, that word strength there is dunamis, 1411. It's miracle working Power. My miracle working power is made perfect. And here's where we get the the misinterpretation. In the word weakness. The word weakness in Strong's is this. It means feebleness of mind or body. It means frailty, disease, infirmity, sickness, or weakness. It's translated disease, infirmity, sickness, or weakness. So you've got to look to the setting... And you've got to look to the whole of Scripture to determine what He means when He says that word, weakness. Some say, well, it's sickness. See, my strength is perfected in your sickness. Well, you know what? You follow that line of thinking through with the same word, look what you come up with. Turn over to the 13th chapter of the same book. Numbers 13 and verse 4. Well, look, look at verse 3 first. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you, for though he was crucified through weakness, is the same word. To translate that as sickness is ridiculous. Jesus was crucified through sickness? No. Hmm. Nope. Nope. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. We also are weak in him. Now, wait a minute. Well, that goes against everything we've been taught. We're weak? What's he talking about? But we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, to better understand this, go on back to 2 Corinthians 12 and look at verse... 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak. It's the same word translated weakness in all those other places. And what it's referring to is the human frail side of man when man chooses to understand that in himself he has nothing to combat the forces of darkness with there is a human side to us which represents the weak side of man and when a person chooses to lay down his life give it to the lord Deny himself, take up his cross, follow him. The enemy will come against him with persecutions, distress, and all these things targeting the weak side of man to overcome him and destroy him. Just as he targeted Jesus in the flesh to destroy his life and ministry. Then when we realize when that happens, if we only acknowledge we can't overcome in the flesh. We have no power to combat spiritual forces in the flesh. No, there is a weak side to man. We're not strong in ourselves. I don't ever come by my own ability. I don't ever come by my own strength. And when all this comes against me, it reinforces in me it doesn't matter. I can't do it anyhow. Thank God that when I realize I'm a nobody, but in Christ I can do all things, the power of God takes over. And when the power of God takes over, beloved, it throws down the forces of evil and the powers of darkness. And overcomes the opposition. That's what he was saying. And look what, look what he interprets it as being in verse 10. What was it that was happening to him? I take pleasure. He defined what, is, what was happening to him. And not one place does he say sickness. I take pleasure in infirmities or human frailties and weaknesses and reproaches or inabilities and, and necessities and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. Yes, our lives will be targeted. And when I'm weak... Then I'm strong. Going back to chapter 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundantly. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more often. More frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews. Think about that one. Deaths. 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 Deaths, oft. The man was stoned to death, left for dead. I mean, you talk about persecution. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, saved one thrice. I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in a deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings often, in hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness, beside those things that are without. Oh, Lord, there's no room for sickness there. If that man was sick, I mean, you talk about sorrow upon sorrow. Would you feel sorry for this man if he was sick on top of all that? Can a sick man take all that? Dear Lord, can he? You say, he was in pain. If you were beaten with rods, were you? would you be in pain? If you were stoned, would you be in pain? Yeah, but didn't he didn't say he'd take out, they'd take out their eyes. Yeah, because they stoned his eyes. His eyes were bugged out like that. That's why when he went back there and preached to them after they stoned him, they saw his eyes puffed out. So some read the book of Galatians. They say, "Well, see, they said they would have given their eyes." Yes, they would have given their eyes. It wasn't because it was dripping with some kind of disease. It was because they just got done stoning the man. His eyes were all puffed up when he went right on back in and preached to them the same gospel. And they marvelled when they saw him, and they went off and preached even at, at Derby, right where he got stoned. Yeah, they would have taken out their eyes and given them to him, not because he had bad eyes, but because they were puffed up from being stoned. He was in pain, beaten with rods, and all these different things. There's no room for sickness in this man's life. Those were the things he said that were happening to him everywhere he went. And who stirred all that up? The messenger of Satan to buffet him everywhere he went. Everywhere he went to buffet him. Now, if that's not convincing enough, beloved, let me give you the final one. You don't qualify for a thorn. And neither do I. Because if you back up to verse 7, it says, Unless I should be exalted above never through the abundance of the revelations. Have you had the abundance of the revelations like he had yet? Well, what do you mean by that? Go on back up to verse uh, uh, 1. It is, not, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, whether out of body I cannot tell. God knows. such as one cut up into the third heaven. When was the last time you got cut up into the third heaven? And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of body, I cannot tell. When was the last time you didn't know whether or not you were in or out of your body? Hmm... I cannot tell, God knoweth. He that was caught up in the paradise. When's the last time you got caught up in the paradise? Heard unspeakable words. When's the last time you heard unspeakable words? Which is not lawful for a man to utter. As such and one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine weaknesses. You see what he's saying? I'm not taking any self pride, I'm not getting caught up in the pride. Everywhere I go, I'm being buffeted for the work of the Lord. It's not sickness, it's not disease, it's the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me because I'm doing the work of God in such a dynamic way. But I'm not going to glory in that. Let God make me what He wants to make me. I'm going to walk humble before the Lord that He may continue to exalt me and I will fulfill His will upon this earth. So, beloved, in reality, people would not even qualify for Paul's thorn in the flesh because they didn't have the abundance of revelations, they weren't caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words that they could not utter. Those are just some, some. We could talk about Job's boy. We may get into that tonight. I don't know. His, his problem and all that. But you can't repeat that experience in the New Testament anyhow. And so you see, let's let the Word of God answer the objections. Let's look at the Word of God and interpret it so as to build faith in the lives of people, not to destroy faith. None of that changes what the Scriptures teach about God's healing plan of redemption. God has provided healing for all. It belongs to all. You can't have Paul's thorn. Thank God for that. I still believe to this day the Trompimus got healed. I'll tell you what, if he didn't, it still wouldn't change the gospel. I said if he didn't, it still wouldn't change the gospel. Let me give another scripture because I think I uh, some unsettledness out there. Look at Look at the book of Hebrews and then we'll close it. In chapter 11. Look at verse, beginning at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped. Notice, obtained promises through faith. Stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant. In fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. I'll tell you what, your faith life can go both ways. If you choose to, you don't have to accept deliverance by the power of God. So you can have. Why? Well, it tells you why. That they might obtain a better resurrection. I'll tell you what, beloved, you didn't know there was an option. You know what that means? It's up to the person. They could have accepted deliverance by the hand of God, but they won't obtain a better resurrection, so they just went ahead and died a martyr's death. I'll just go ahead. That's what they did. Do you see how much is in our control here upon this, earth? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life,